Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And Caroline, would you characterize yourself when you were a child as a tomboy? You know, Kristen, I don't think I (laughs) would. I don't think I would have at the time, but I think it's because I didn't think about it. But now that I look back, I absolutely was one because I played with the boys next door. We we roughhoused and we played with monster truck cars and we played out in the yard and in the mud. And there was one, I'll go ahead and tell it, there was one particular afternoon in the Atlanta, Georgia sun that was so hot. And the boys, who I'd grown up with since we were in diapers together, you know, they took their shirts off and I was like, well... Keep in mind, I was very little, people. But I was like, I'm hot. So I ran into my mommy, and I was like, Mommy, can I take my shirt off, too? And then Sally just let forth this sigh while she was folding laundry. I was like, oh, God. All right, but just stay stay in in the play area. Good for you, Sally. Yeah, she was like, ah, whatever. I mean, I think the two boys and I had seen each other naked from the time we were babies anyway, so whatever. Well, here's a quick uh, a checklist, a tomboy index. Oh, okay. And we can see if you if you really fit into it. This is coming from a study, Child Tomboyism and Adult Androgyny, by Sean Megan Byrne, A. Kathleen O'Neill, and Shirley Niederland. And they developed a 12-item tomboyism index, which delighted me to no end, because I'm just so happy when academics do things like make tomboy indexes. So here we go. Uh, preferred shorts or jeans to dresses? Yeah, well, I wasn't even split, but now in life I prefer pants and jeans. Preferred traditional boys' toys over girls' toys. I hadn't even split. Resembled a boy in appearance. Uh, I did rock a, while I was a toddler, I had a bowl cut for sure. Nice. Wished you were a boy. No. Preferred traditionally boys' activities. Mm, even, Even split. Had girlfriends that were tomboys. Yeah. Participated in traditionally male sports with boys. I hate competition and avoid sports at all costs. By the way, I wish this was a Cosmo quiz. I feel like we're taking a Cosmo <laughs> quiz right now. You were were you loud or boisterous in Always. play? Always. Forever. <laughs> Did My you, whole life. <laughs> couldn't even finish the question, so <laughs> yes, you were. Preferred playing with boys over girls. Yeah, yeah. Used traditionally girls' toys in traditional boy activities. Like, would your Barbie have been driving a Mack truck. No, she did have an awesome Jeep, though. Engaged in rough-and-tumble play. Yeah, I guess. Played with many different peer groups. Sure. Caroline, I declare you a tomboy. Sweet. <laughs> uh, how do you fare? How do I fare? Oh, I was I was pretty, pretty tomboyish when I was a kid. I started out, my mother initially dressed me in nothing but dresses because I had hand-me-downs from two older sisters. And pretty much as soon as I could start dressing myself, um, I really preferred to wear like soccer shorts and mm-hmm. t-shirts. And I... Umbros? Did, umbros. I rocked some umbros. <laughs> I did too. And those were the hand-me-downs from my, my brother, who was a soccer player. And I also distinctly remember playing basketball with said soccer playing brother and uh, being like, hold on, hold on, time out. I got to (laughs) spit. 
and spitting, like hawking a loogie, and just waiting for his approval. Oh! <laughs> to which he was like, Kristen, good grief. Um, although, you know what? It's it's useful to be able to talk a loogie sometimes. Yeah. You need to do that. Um, and we are not alone by a long shot in our tomboyism. It's, it is interesting to, to go through these studies on girls and gender and tomboyism and not only look at these, you know, things like the tomboy index, uh, which, you know, the list is not that surprising. These are kind of traits that we would commonly associate with tomboyism, but also where the term even came from, uh, because it, it has quite a rich history. Yeah, I had I had no idea. I had no idea that the word Tom had so many meanings, but the etymology, apparently one of the slang meanings for Tom is prostitute. Yep's. Uh, multiple connotations, uh, male sexual predators or tomcats, clowns, tom fools, and lesbians, tommy girls. So, so tom, tom is very versatile. And it's actually been around for a long time. The concept originated in the 16th century, but it initially referred to rowdy gentlemen courtiers. Yeah, um, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, tomboy first appeared in 1553, applying to bad boys who are prone to, quote-unquote, whiskying. Ooh. Whiskying. Whiskying. Well, the definition shifted in the 1570s to girls and women. These were bold and immodest women. So not necessarily what we think of now. The The definition of tomboy that we think of now came to being in the late 1500s, early 1600s, when it's more of the... You know, the, the girl who plays with the boys, etc. Yeah, a rough and tumble, boisterous woman. Um, and we found a book called The Unwritten History and Hidden History of Tomboyism in the United States by Michelle Ann Abbott. And she traces this history of uh, tomboys and makes an interesting connection between the emergence, the more modern emergence of tomboys, not just among children, because... First, we have the outdoors pal, and it's more of this, uh, it's only applied to kids, you know, like girls who kind of like scout in To Kill a Mockingbird, who are a little rough around the edges, and they like playing, and, and they're, you know, scrappy little kids. And then it becomes translated to more of a womanly context. Yeah, she points out in her book, uh, the introduction in her book, that there are certain views of tomboys. They're icons of feminist defiance. They're symbols of juvenile delinquency and precursors of sexual deviance. So there's like a very loaded meaning behind a tomboy. She writes that tomboys disrupted the rigid dichotomy separating good and bad female conduct that critics have identified as a defining feature of Anglo-American girlhood. Yeah, and then it evolves into this almost positive challenge to gender roles and speaks a lot to the, um, I, I guess, the the power of masculinity, like speaking at that time where masculinity was obviously more preferred than than femininity, whereas, you know, it's soft, it's weak, and, you know, we're very Victorian and fainting couches and all of that, whereas men were men. They could do things. They could cut trees down. <laughs> and uh, I found it uh, interesting that, um, that Abbott quotes 
uh, Hemingway's Garden of Eden's character, Catherine, when she, uh, this character cuts her hair and then says, you see, that's the surprise. I'm a girl, but I'm not a boy, too, and I can do anything and anything and anything. And that whole idea of uh, embracing more of those tomboy characteristics were powerful. For yeah. younger girls. Well, Abbott writes that tomboyism is an antidote to the idea that femininity has to equal frailty, like it did with the fainting couches, ca- couches, couches, and swooning and wooing and whatnot. She says that the whole um, idea of tomboyism called for sensible clothing, physical exercise, and a wholesome diet, and these girls were stronger than the Victorian ideal of the, the fainting lady. And then, with the turn of the 20th century, we have things starting to happen, like women voting, women are smoking, women are drinking, they're driving. There are these major social, political, and economic changes that are happening with, alongside of that, the emergence of this new woman. We can think about the flapper, uh, women who were not scared to challenge those feminine ideals and uh, and we also have the emergence of, of tomboy heroes for instance Amelia Earhart had a biography written about her called the Kansas tomboy and it was once featured as a prize in Cracker Jacks and you mentioned Joe March in Little Women as the preeminent tomboy in literature but there uh, there's a lot of these these tomboy figures that pop up around the same time uh, Little Women for instance was written in 1868 and then you have the Gypsy Breton series which starts out in 1866 it features a tomboy character uh, What Katie Did uh, comes out in 1872 Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm 1903 I remember reading the Caddy Woodlawn series in 1935 and then we have Little House on the Prairie, which starts in 1932. So in a very short amount of time, the tomboy has become a central literary figure, especially for these new narratives that were targeted specifically to a female audience. And you start having things like popular songs and movies that were all focused around these female tomboys. Well, it's funny. Okay, so these things are all over literature. These things, these these archetypes, these themes are all over literature, movies, culture. I I feel like this is a very common, positive, wonderful thing to have tomboys. But I still feel like there's this view of them in some literature that's that's negative. Well, yes. And that's one thing that uh, Michelle Ann Abbott writes about in the unwritten history of tomboyism, uh, she talks about how a lot of times the there's a, a transformation that tends to take place with a tomboy from, you know, she she gets a bath and all of a sudden she gets the boy. Kind of like in She's All That. I was just going to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times the descriptors are of her being wild and untamed and she's chestnut haired and has dirt on her cheeks and you know there's always we're never really completely comfortable with the tomboy remaining the tomboy right the tomboy has to need i change need i bring up ali sheedy bring up ali sheedy oh my my number one my number one doppelganger (laughs) (laughs) bring her up go ahead no i was just gonna say it's the same thing in the breakfast club i got into this whole i well i would i would say debate with my roommate but he just looked at me blankly as i i railed about why do we need to give ali sheedy a makeover and a headband well we should do an episode on on magical makeovers (laughs) because that's an entire 
thing in and of itself. I agree. Um, and the, the interesting thing too about tomboys is that they, they generally have a pal with them who remains static for the most part. And that is the sissy boy. Yeah, this is also illustrated in a lot of literature. There's Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird that we brought up, Scout and Dill. Willa Cather's Tommy the Unsentimental, Tommy and Jay. Carson McCullers' The Member of the Wedding, which featured Frankie and John. And so it is interesting to read about this relationship because, you know, oh gosh, girl and boy hanging out together unsupervised. But it was this whole thing with, like, gender norms. When they were switched, when it's a tomboy and a sissy boy hanging out pre-puberty. They're mm. just kids. It's all innocent. It doesn't seem to really raise cultural general suspicion. Um, Abbott writes that this is foreshadowing contemporary queer interpretations of tomboys as proto-lesbians and sissies as proto-gay men. Their friendship does not contain an erotic charge. So like everybody's like, well... They're different and weird. Let them be friends. Yeah, and it speaks so much to how we perceive um, gender at that early age. Because tomboy, you know, a girl except, uh, taking on masculine characteristics is just a tomboy. That's mm-hmm. no big deal. It's generally not tossed out as an insult. You might be a little bit... Uh, you know, a little bit of an outcast, but there's still plenty of people just like you. Now, the sissy boy, though, sissy obviously is an insult. And um, Julia Grant, a researcher, also points out that the word sissy comes out of boy culture in the 19th century. Um, and it was also used as a clinical term for sexual inversion. And all of this also is coinciding with a time when massive industrialization raises adults' concerns over the loss of real men. Like when we were talking about in our summer camp podcast, the reason why summer camps, wilderness camps, uh, began in the first place was to send boys out away from their pampered city lives to make sure that they could still do manly things. Like chopping all those trees. Right. And hence, you now have the... The, the sissy boy that everyone's concerned about because it's not okay for for boys to accept the more feminine traits. But one literary theme that comes up is the tomboy character working to masculine, masculinize, there it is, her sissy boy friend, but it, it doesn't work the other way around. So, like, you know, this the sissy boy is hanging out with the tomboy, and it rubs off on him, and he's like, oh, I'm going to be a big, strong man and marry a lady, and we're all going to be happy and everything. But... It's. I guess that's the maybe equivalent of the tomboy getting a bath and suddenly going to the prom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because we wouldn't expect in these kind of rigid generals, we wouldn't. It would not be acceptable for a boy to pass along softness to, you know, a tougher girl, right? right. Unless she suddenly became interested in him in a like-like kind of way. Oh. And she started crushing on him, and then she takes a bath, and then they go to the prom. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. And then she takes a bath, puts on a headband, and then they go That's to right. the prom. But what about tomboys and sissy girls? Well, yeah, it's definitely not just for boys. And this is uh, researchers Carrie Robinson and Kristen Davies. They said that the term sissy amplifies some characteristics that are perceived to be feminine and negative in both boys and girls. So for boys, as we talked about, it suggests homosexuality, weakness. For girls, however, it's associated with a type of undesirable femininity. So you don't want to be called a sissy girl any more than a boy wants to be called a sissy boy. 
And it's interesting. They wrote about how the sissy girls' desires and interests are in the relationship with the other girls and the women. So they are more interested in pursuing those friendships with the tomboy because of adventure or bringing them out of their shell more so than maybe crushing on Freddie Prince Jr. Mm-hmm. Now, these more negative views toward tomboyism and that, uh, you know, the attendant sissy boy or sissy girl have loosened in more recent times since it became, you know, part of our uh, pop culture and part of uh, just kind of ex- an expected phase that a child might go through. Um, and Betsy Livonian Morgan at the University of Wisconsin in 1998 was curious to see how there might be a generational shift in women's embrace of the term tomboy and whether or not they engaged in tomboy-like activities when they were kids. And so she talked to uh, young uh, co- female college students, their mothers and their grandmothers, to do a generational comparison among tomboy attributes and behaviors. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that the senior women were less likely to report having been a tomboy than the younger two generations. So as common as that whole theme was in literature, movies, culture in general, etc., um, they still were were maybe applying prejudices to the term and thought it was still that whole, you know, that whole stereotype of the dirty girl or woman. Um, but uh, Morgan found out that tomboyism does, in fact, appear to be a normal part of most women's child's, childhoods. 67% of the people uh, that she surveyed over the three generations reported being tomboys during their childhood. And the average age that they reported starting to be a tomboy was 5.8 years old. And the average age reported for ceasing the behavior, growing up, becoming a lady, taking that bath and putting that headband on, was 12.6. Yeah, and and of course, that's the age that puberty tends to kick in. And I find that kind of sad Mm -hmm. that that we pack up... You know, our Tonka trucks and put away our overalls and such. Once we start, it's, it's at the age when we start paying more attention to other people's perceptions of us. Obviously, uh, you know, sexual attractions start to kick in and we, we become more, more self-aware of what we are presenting to the yeah. world. Yeah. I mean, nobody, I mean, think of us now. We might not care what we appear to be to other people. But when you're a 13-year-old and you're hitting oh. puberty and you're nervous and you're awkward and, oh, God, I just want people to like me and I just want that person over there to to like me and have a crush on me, you do. You pay attention more to, like, okay, well, what what do I have to do to not be weird? Right. you got to fit in. Oh, man. But there are so many upsides to tomboyism, um, and again, like like you mentioned, it in every study that we found, a majority of the people that they talked to at some point said, yeah, I went through some kind of tomboyish phase. And even though this is a little dated, according to a 1978 study, girls who performed tomboyish behaviors had a larger repertoire of activities and less gender-bound preferences for the future, Understandably, because they're challenging those scripts from a young age. So it seems normal to just do whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, according to a 1981 study, similarly, self-described tomboys tend to embrace boys and girls 
activities. Rather than they they don't reject one or the other, they tend to blend it together. And um, more contemporary studies have looked a little bit deeper into the gender dynamics of tomboyism, whether it is related to um, adult homosexuality or androgyny down the road and how all of that plays. And it makes sense that we are taking a deeper look at the these early childhood formative self labeling like you know playing you know doing tomboyish types of things and how it relates to our gender identity down the road um because we are now more accepting of the fact that uh that we we don't live in just like a binary system of you know masculine feminine male female blah 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 there is room for for mo- much more fluidity and scholars have understandably looked into how the uh how tomboy might play into that for instance there in 2011 there was a study published in the journal of lesbian studies called tomboy as protective identity and they wanted to look at three different components of how tomboy is a gendered social identity that can offer temporary protections to women and girls in terms of, for instance, excusing masculine-typed behavior in girls and women, because it is much more acceptable for girls to to be a little more rough and tumble. Um, it can also provide protection for lesbian girls and women who prefer not to divulge their sexual orientation. And this is also pretty compelling. The tomboy identity can gain women limited privileges to spaces for which masculinity is an unspoken requirement. And that was something that came up in another study uh, we found that was interviewing women uh, who were uh, pretty intense tomboys when they were kids. And that came up a lot in terms of saying, no, like calling myself a tomboy, being a tomboy gave me more access to it broadened my world, allowed me to do things I normally wouldn't be able to do. Yeah. Well, um, Robinson and Davies talked to a lot of women about, uh, you know, their past and, and what it was like being a tomboy. And I did think it was interesting, uh, just the different kind of perceptions that people could have of tomboys and how it could bring such shame to a child if that was outside of what their parents considered to be normal. For instance, um, one woman was saying that as a child, she, you know, goes into the toy store and wants to buy this toy gun. And her mom was totally okay with it, was like, yeah, whatever, you want it, that's fine. But it was the shopkeeper who said, well, that's not a girl's toy. Right. And so she had this, that was the first time she'd been shamed about wanting a different type of toy than was normal for girls. And so she just felt like she had that feeling attached to tomboyism from then on out. Yeah, and even though these days, in 2013, we are becoming more aware and more accepting of children who might, from a very early age, begin to identify, self-identify as transgender and not feel okay in the body that they were born in and want to, uh, you know, cross those lines in those kinds of ways. But I, I think especially because we're talking about children, we still have a difficult time. There's still something about tomboyish behavior that, you know, still challenges those old scripts that stick around. 
Yeah. And people almost get mad at the parents. Yes. Sometimes for like making or letting your child do something. And I mean, not to get all TMZ up in here, but like Shiloh, Jolie Pitt, for mm-hmm. instance, cute, cute kid prefers to wear more masculine clothes and a masculine haircut. And I mean, people freak out. Like, what are you, this is why kids are weird nowadays. Like, what are you doing to that child? Well, and it's like the, uh, the, the J. Crew image, the, in the magazine Mm -hmm. of the, the kid having, the boy having his nails painted pink by his mom. How, how would you do that? And that, that is the thing. I think that all of these studies and the research on tomboys have only demonstrated that A, it is perfectly normal and healthy. To allow kids, I mean, this has been a very like girl focused conversation, obviously, since we're talking about tomboys, but it is very healthy to, to allow kids to explore and to break those, those barriers. Yeah. I mean, I have excellent memories of being a kid playing outside and climbing trees and playing in the sandbox with boys and everything, Mm -hmm. playing with my monster trucks. My mom even bought me like a, like a sports coupe, one of those yellow plastic cars that Uh had the handles that you turned it with. Yeah. I wasn't brave enough to ride it down our steep driveway. That's good, probably. But I, I would drive it around, sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's great to, to give children the option to just be themselves. Yeah. And just one last etymological fact. Before tomboy became the accepted term for these rough and tumble girls, tomboys were called hoydens. It's a term for boisterous girls. So well, that fell out of fashion, didn't it? Considering <laughs> I've never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, I think Hoyden uh, does not have quite the ring to it. No. Even though things do get a little strange when you think about Tom being slang for a prostitute. It evolved. It evolved, indeed. Now I just think of freckles and overalls. Mm-hmm. So, tomboys out there, write us your letters, please. We want to hear all of your stories. Mom stuff at Discovery. Dot com is where you can send them, or you can also message us on Facebook. And now we've got a couple of listener letters to share with you. Yeah, I have one from Brooke. This is about sweaty gym creepers. Kristen. She says, I managed a gym for about four years just outside of Louisville, Kentucky, and encountered a wide variety of awkward interactions between gym members, including lots of pickup attempts, adulterous sex affairs in the tanning beds, and jealous spouses storming in to catch their significant other's quote-unquote training with the mistress. The gym is a, and this is in all caps, scandalous, scandalous place. I found that the only time I'm comfortable working out in a gym anymore is in the middle of the night when there is basically nobody around. Jeez, Brooke. What? <laughs> that sounds like a scary gym indeed. Uh, I, well, I've got one here from Nari, and it's not about gyms. It is actually about our Prolapse podcast. Ooh, ooh. But listen up, folks. It's good news. She says... I'm 27 and I've never been pregnant, so when I felt a lot of pressure and put some pain in the girly parts, it was definitely a little weird. This was just several weeks after I listened to the Prolapse podcast, so I thought I might be imagining things like a total hypochondriac, Just because, but because of you two, I knew how to do the self-examination. Because I am familiar with my anatomy, I realized that my cervix had dropped at least half an inch, and I went straight to my gynecologist, who was really glad I caught it at such an early stage. The Kegel exercises, which I also know the details about because of your podcast, have put everything back to where it should be so long as I keep doing them. I am so grateful to you. See? Enough people were so grossed out about the Prolapse podcast, but you know what? The more you know... 
Do-do-do-do. The more you know. <laughs> that's all I got. The more you know, then the more you know. Well, that's great. I'm glad we could help. Yeah, that made me very happy to hear. And if you have any good news to share with us, you know our address. It's momstuffatdiscovery.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Like us while you're at it. Follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. You can also follow us on Tumblr at stuffmomnevertoldyou.tumblr.com. And if you'd like to get smarter this week, you should head over to our website. It's howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 